right, podcast 18. First five supplements I believe you should take when you're on your fitness journey. Let's go. Ryan Little. <laughs> So here we are, podcast 18, we've been progressing. You know, we just got off um, talking about my personal fitness journey. So with this podcast, I want to get into the first five supplements I believe you should take uh, when you start your fitness journey. And so first and foremost, everything I want to mention here today, they all in a sense either... Uh, are naturally occurring in the body they just need more to support your exercise or they're found in food all right no fake stuff no pds none of that trash okay so first thing first let's talk about the one everybody knows about i think this is the first thing everyone goes to the protein powders so keep in mind protein powder supplements they are just that supplement so you, you got to realize what the what they were made for it is really for convenience you know i i suggest i wouldn't necessarily use protein to replace uh, protein supplements to replace my protein that i'm getting from food because we know that type of protein is more um nutritionally well-rounded more complete um but you know if you're on the go um people that work long days people that travel a lot right the protein supplements i think are perfect for that for those of y'all that need to meet you know very um, high daily protein goals supplements are good as well because as we all know food gets expensive so you need to take in hundreds of grams of protein a day and you're trying to get that through you know fibrous protein your chicken your beefs or maybe seafood you know that can get expensive but we know protein powders are pretty cheap um, when, you, when you look at price per gram of protein and convenient but what I really want to get into is the type of protein supplement I believe you should get. And this is one I don't think people really pay attention to. The big three, you have your whey protein concentrate, uh, isolate, and hydrolysate, or hydroisolate. Um, now, hydroisolate is the most expensive. It's the most pure. And what we mean by that is it has the, it's the most purified. And you can tell when you look at that nutritional label, you'll see it has the least amount of fat. And it's typically the least amount of calories because we know fat nine nine calories per gram because the fat's low, the calories typically low. And as you move to something like concentrate, concentrate will typically have like two, maybe three grams of fat in there, and they're going to be higher, a little bit higher calories. So they may be like one ninety versus hydrolysate, which may be one ten. So it's not that big of a difference, but uh, we know hydrolysate is more protein pure. All right. So a scoop of hydrolysate may be thirty grams of protein, but a scoop of concentrate may be twenty four. So you look on the back of these protein labels, the numbers you'll typically see, you'll see 20, 20, 22 grams, 24, 25 grams, and you'll see 30. And typically you're not gonna get 30 unless you're high purity, or if it's a concentrate with 30, it's typically a big scoop. So that means the calories are gonna be high. 
a little bit of a tangent there, but what I want to get into is that the, the perfect protein is a protein blend. All right. And what I mean by that is ideally you would like to get a protein that has a mixture of concentrate, isolate, hydrolysate, and something like casein. A good example, Muscle Tech had a protein called Phase 8. And so Phase 8 was marketed as an eight-hour protein. It had a blend of, like I just said, concentrate, isolate, hydrolysate, egg, and I believe casein. And the idea is when you look at whey protein, whey protein, especially hydrolysate, which is broken down, right, that absorbs the quickest. Where something like casein absorbs over the, you know, six hours. And hydrolysate being the fastest, casein being the slowest. So you would go hydrolysate, isolate, uh, concentrate, egg, and then casein. So if you take a protein powder that's mixed with all this, essentially you get this sustained protein release over eight hours versus you taking a whey protein shake and your body absorbing it, you know, within an hour. That's the idea. And that's why the casein protein became popular because the idea was you don't want your body to uh, essentially go catabolic during the night. So you, you know, the idea was you drink the casein protein at night, your body feeds off of that all night. And then when you wake back up, you're back to eating. So your body really never gets that catabolic state. You, you stay what they call anabolic, right? But it's hard to find proteins that have that type of blend because it is, it is expensive. But I know phase eight is one for example. Um, just keep that in mind. My next supplement, and you know, BCAs I know are popular, but I'm not gonna say BCAs, I'm gonna say leucine. Mainly because if you're taking protein powders, they're gonna have your BCAs and EAs in there. But what we know about leucine, leucine is actually the compound that triggers the muscle protein synthesis. So while leucine may trigger it, it doesn't sustain it. And that's where you need the rest of the EAs to sustain it. So if you talk about building a protein, ideally, if you had a protein blend, right, this protein blend I just talked about, you add, a, you add extra leucine to it, the leucine would trigger the protein synthesis, and the EAAs from the protein powder can then sustain the synthesis over long periods of time. But people aren't going to do that, right? Why? Because it's more expensive. But ideally, leucine. And what you want, you want about four grams of leucine a day. I'll tell you from a taste perspective, leucine does not taste great. Um, but leucine is cheap. Um, so if you want to buy it separately and maybe mix it into your protein, maybe two grams um, in one shake, uh, two grams in another shake later in the day, or just four grams in the beginning. And yes, protein powders will have leucine in them, but some of them don't have the four grams of leucine that's needed to, to trigger that synthesis, all right? So that's number two. Number three, I say the one that's really criminally underrated, and that's citrulline. And so citrulline is a vasodilator. Essentially, it opens up the blood vessels and allow more blood flow into those muscles. Um, citrulline has also been used for people with high blood pressure. You know, if you can dilate the vessels, the blood pressure can come down. And so my suggestion now, if you're doing pure L-citrulline, two grams a day, you're straight. Now, if you're doing citrulline malate, you gotta look at what the composition is. And typically, they're two to one citrulline to uh, a malate. So what that means is if you have a two to one, you need three grams to get the two grams of citrulline and one gram of malate, obviously. So citrulline, I think, is 
is criminally underrated because citrulline has been proven to to increase your performance. All right, because now again the muscles can get more blood flow, more oxygen to the blood to the muscle, all of that. So I believe citrulline is good, and citrulline is cheap. It's another supplement that's very cheap, and you see it in your pre workouts, and that's that's an obvious reason why. But we know pre workouts are pretty expensive. You can buy tubs of citrulline for cheap. All right. Next one, I think this is probably the most famous one after protein. The good old creatine. All right. Now, here's the deal. Creatine has been studied. All right. Creatine, we know it works. And creatine is naturally occurring in the body. It also um, can be found in red meats. But one of the biggest debates on creatine has been what form of creatine to take, right? You got monohydrate, hydrochloride, ethyl ester, buffered, micronized, uh, uh, Man, there's, a, there's another one. Oh, creatine O-phosphate is all different different kinds. Here's the deal. Creatine monohydrate has been the most studied. All right. We understand the rest of them, but creatine monohydrate has been the most studied, which is why it is the most popular. Um, here's the deal. When you look at something like creatine monohydrate, a lot of it gets lost in the gut. And that's why people talk about, um, and it's not absorbed quickly into the muscle. So when you take monohydrate, people talk about that that loading phase, right? 20 grams a day, seven days, and after that, you do five grams. Essentially, that 20 gram load is so, because it is poorly absorbed in the muscle, you do this, you know, these big doses to get the muscle full of creatine. And I talked about, you look at my energy systems um, podcast, we talk about the purpose of the creatine and the phosphocreatine energy pathway, which is why you need it. But um, creatine is also an osmolite. So people talking about when they get on creatine, they look fuller, right? Their muscles look uh, fuller. Or they talk about water retention because it regulates, uh, uh, you know, your your water content within your muscles as well. That's why that effect. That's where that effect comes from. So the two creatine sources that I that I've taken that I I say whatever creatine monohydrate. Again, we talked about that loading phase: twenty grams a day, five days for five days, and you do five grams a day after that. Um, creatine monohydrate is criminally cheap. Um, I, I don't understand why companies will sell you, you know, their form of our creatine is the best. And you look on the back, it's monohydrate and they're selling you 30 servings for $20, right? I can go buy a thousand servings, you know, for $15, $16. So creatine monohydrate is the same. Now, the only, the only caveat is you have micronized creatine, which is a physically, uh, uh, micronized form of creatine monohydrate so it's monohydrate but it's been crushed up to you know absorb better in the water don't clump up as much but they're the same thing um but they again they're the same they do the same thing and then you got creatine hydrochloride now creatine hydrochloride is easily absorbed in the body um and that takes about i would say if you're in that case about two and a half grams three grams a day on that the difference between the two Again, both are creatine. They just they're, they're salted to a different compound, which changes their solubility. But man, creatine hydrochloride, it has a taste, and that taste is horrible. Uh, mainly because again, it's what hydrochloride is with an acid. It's a very very bitter taste, um, but it doesn't bloat you. Uh, people have you know stomach issues. It doesn't do that like monohydrate does. So it's a tad bit more expensive, but it's still criminally cheap. So. If you take creatine monohydrate, we talked about the loading, 
20 grams a day, five days, and then five grams a day after that. Um, if you can tolerate it, it's good. If creatine monohydrate may upset you, move to the hydrochloride, but keep in mind, only need about two and a half grams a day because it can be easily absorbed, mainly because the hydrochloride group uh, can keep it soluble in the stomach. But again, the taste, man, you gotta get around the taste. What I used to do with monohydrate, you know, people walking around the jugs of water, man, I just dump a ton of hot monohydrate in that jug of water and you just pretty much can sip on it all day. How the car you gonna be able to do that? Because it, the taste is horrible. But monohydrate, uh, excuse me, monohydrate, you can do that. The taste, it doesn't really have a taste. Hydrochloride has a taste. It's very bitter, very sharp. And then we're going to get to the last one. And this is the one I don't think people really understand what it does, but it's that beta alanine. All right. So beta alanine, so when you take a pre-workout, okay, and people talk about itching, beta alanine is what's causing that itching, that parenthesia, all right? It's not caffeine, it's not citrulline, it's not theanine, none of that stuff. It's, it's strictly beta alanine that's causing that, all right? Now, beta alanine is another one that's not uh, absorbed quickly in the muscle, all right? And uh, what, it, what it does is it combines with another amino acid called histidine, you know, forms a protein or maybe, maybe you don't want to call it a protein, but a macromolecule called carnosine. And carnosine acts as a proton buffer or an acid buffer that um, helps you overcome or reduces acid buildup when you lift. So when you lift and you feel that burn, that's typically what stops people is the burn, right? But when you take beta alanine, because you can buffer that acid buildup, you don't feel that burn as soon as you can work harder. And for beta alanine, four to six grams a day is good. Now, when, again, beta alanine is found in a lot of pre-workouts. Now we're gonna talk about, so citrulline and beta alanine, I talked about those not, um, uh, not not beta, not citrulline, uh, creatine, beta alanine. That's about not being uh, absorbed in the body as quickly. So um, here's the deal. The reason why these these dosages may, may sound like that is because creatine can accumulate in the body, right? It can be stored in the muscle. Beta alanine can be stored as well. All right, so you want to take these daily so you can have you can build that storage up in the muscles, even on a maybe even on a day you're not even lifting, you can still take it and and keep them stores high. So when you get into that lift, that next time you lift, you know you have uh, a good amount of that creatine beta alanine there to use throughout the exercise. So these are my five first five I believe everyone should take if you're really into lifting weights. I mean, looking at, I'm looking at the list again. I, I would say not even just lifting weights. Um, I would say athletics in general because we know, so we know citrulline. Citrulline is going to have, you know, effects outside of lifting on weights. I mean, any type of cardio, any type of sport. Creatine is another one. Creatine has been shown to increase um, uh, runners, their uh, runner speed uh, and, and decrease their fatigue. We know protein is going to be important no matter what, whether you're lifting or not. I mean, if you just live in protein, is going to be good for you. Um, beta alanine would be the only one I would say. If you're not necessarily lifting, do you need it? Maybe not, but yeah. I personally, if I'm not lifting, I'm taking all five of these. Swimming, martial arts, uh, whether it's military training, you know, functional fitness, I'm taking these regardless. Um, but one thing about all five of these is that they're cheap. All right, not that expensive. Good place to get you started, 
And this podcast is going to kick off a very uh, detailed series into our other common supplements. So uh, we're not about to get into no weird um, arachidonic acid, extradone, estradone. No, we're not getting all that stuff. All right. We're talking about supplements that we know that they're proven. We know that they work. We know that they work. They're easily accessible. So we ain't doing no black market stuff. You know, stuff you got to get from some guy. We're not doing that. Um, but we're going to get stuff that we know we know is going to help you out on your journey and get you right. So I appreciate y'all for sticking with me. Again, we're about to get in kick off a series. It's going to be split up into the types of supplements based upon your goals, all right? Stick around, and I appreciate y'all. Peace. <laughs>